welcome to my podcast, Where the Dark Corners Are. Hello, hello. I am Vina, and I am your Dark Travels hostess. And tonight, I am joined by husband Jeff. Jeff, yay. Yay. And tonight, we're actually going to talk about something we've actually never have touched on before, and I think we're kind of pushing almost 100 episodes. Let's talk about Bigfoot. I believe in Bigfoot. Do you? Oh, yeah. He's real. You go camping where you did before you met me a lot. Yeah. Did you ever have any personal sightings? No. Never got that lucky. So, But he's out there somewhere. How do you know that? Well, he has to be. Why does he have to be? Because he's real. And what gives you, what, what makes you feel like he's real? I don't really know, but I just think he is. Too much evidence? I don't even know that I've ever seen any real, actual evidence. I just feel like it's a real thing. Okay. Have you seen Harry and the Hendersons? I love that movie. In fact, I think if ever there was a movie that kind of put a positive spin on a otherwise unknown and potentially scary creature, even though in my research for today, not a single article came up regarding Bigfoot attack or anything of that nature. In fact, it's like... They've been avoiding humans. Well, that's what they do. Right. I think think they just avoid us, and that's why nobody's ever really... I'm sure that people have seen one, but there's no real actual, like, definitive proof because they avoid us. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the big guy, the big hairy fella. And, of course, we have to discuss... And especially since you brought up, you know, definitive proof or evidence, the October 1967 video. But to kind of give a little bit of history of the idea and the potential tracking or knowledge of Bigfoot, we're going to go back to 1811. Now, in 1811, near the town of Jasper, Alberta, Canada, a British trader by the name of David Thompson, was out and about, you know, out in the woods. (laughs) Trapping. Correct. Beavers, probably. Actually, I don't know what he was uh, trying to track, but that does sound like something. Trapping for, like, fur, right? Right, right. That kind of a trap. Okay, so a trapper. Okay. Well, while he was out and about doing his biz, he came across a strange four-toed footprints in the snow and he somehow managed to measure and the footprints were about 14 inches in length and eight inches wide that's a huge foot that's um that's a that's a massive foot yeah it's a yeah 
gives, you know, you know, impressions about other things. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> if you believe the the wise tale, I guess. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Okay. But he didn't actually see the creature. He just sees the footprints and, you know, tells everybody about it. And, you know, the speculation begins on what creature could potentially make these types of footprints. Okay, but here. So, it's 1811, you said, right? Correct. So, there's no cameras, or if they are, he probably didn't have one to take a picture of this supposed footprint. So, did anybody else see it, or just him? That's entirely possible. That would be my assumption, like... He'd be like, you guys got to see this. What is this? There's no human that makes, you know, footprints in the snow like this. And again, it's footprints in the snow. Humans don't, I mean, you know, I have no doubt they were wearing some type of footwear back then. So, but that is the first sighting of evidence. Now, the actual first sighting or rather documented, and what is considered a credible sighting, doesn't occur until 1924, when a Canadian lumberjack by the name of Albert Otzman claims claims to have been captured and held captive by a family of Bigfoots near British Columbia, Toba's Inlet. A whole family. Correct. Like maybe like he mom, got cornered. Dad and the kids. Well, you know. I wonder if it was Harry and his family. Probably not. Harry comes a little later. Oh, okay. Now, even though there were actually hundreds of Bigfoot sightings prior to Albert's uh, situation. Uh, kidnapping. Kidnapping, barefoot, Bigfoot. Being held hostage. Correct. I'm sure it was their first human... Hostage situation, too. wonder if they got the crisis phones out negotiating. Who knows? They didn't have phones. Well, they did. They did. Might have. I don't know. Maybe they had telegraphs. Right, right, right. (laughs) 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 SOS with the rocks. You know how. Come help me. Come help me. (laughs) Bigfoot likes to smash rocks (laughs) in the woods. But what is different from Albert sighting is that he actually goes down and signs an official declaration saying, I swear to this. He swears under oath. And by the virtue of the Canadian Evidence Act, he basically says, this is real, this really happened. And hence, we have a first actual documentation under oath that not only was there a Bigfoot sighting, but Bigfoot exists, and of course, you know, you have the added drama of him being abducted or held hostage. I guess it's possible he could have been lying about the whole thing, but I mean, really, who knows, I guess. Right. And here again, when it comes to certain situations, and I think Bigfoot is probably one of them, because there's so much criticism and non-believers out there. You know, you're up against, you're putting yourself basically up against this barrage of, you know, immature assholes who make fun of you, who mock, you know, your truth. 
I'm assuming it is the truth, obviously. And it's oh, wait, hard. We, we never established. No. Are I you mean, a believer? I am. So you believe that Bigfoot is a real. So I, let me ask you the same questions. He, he's the greatest hide-and-seek player of them all. Okay, so. He's the champion. Why do you think he's real? I think there's too much evidence. So you believe you you believe our our Canadian friend here? You think he didn't lie? Well, I I'm not going to say he didn't lie. I'm going to say that there's too many consistent versions of the guy. And they all pretty much describe the same things for the most part. All right. And again, I mean, at in 1924, I, I mean, I don't see a whole lot of profit being made Lying off about. of making this declaration. Now, so obviously it, with time passing, there's a progression of evidence. And in 1811, we have the first recorded footprints in Canada. And then we have the first recorded and reportedly credible under oath declaration. Which, of course, brings us to the next progression. We have the very famous October 1967. So 40 years later, they get it after the thing in Canada, they get a video. Correct. Well, you have to remember technology. No, I'm saying 40 years later, that's the next. There's, there's no other sightings in between? Oh, no, uh, heck, there's tons. There's thousands. There's hundreds. Okay. But in the progression of evidence confirming or recognizing the possibility of the existence of Bigfoot is, of course, the video. The famous 1967 video. Not sure I've ever seen it, but I'll look it up. Okay. So let's let's do a little brief background on the two gentlemen who were present for this. And I don't really... I go back and forth on this video. What? You don't think it's real? Well, we'll get into that a little bit okay. down the road. Okay. Okay. So the main person involved was a gentleman by the name of Roger Patterson. Roger was born in Wall, South Dakota on February 14th, Valentine's Day. 1933, and he, after this incident, he actually lives for another five, no, four and a half years. He unfortunately dies of cancer on January 15, 1972. The other person involved in the filming is a Robert Bob Gimlin. Robert was born in Missouri in 1931. And he actually relocates to Yakima, Washington. Yakima. Now, Bob is an interesting guy. He is actually part Chiricoa Apache. He had joined the Navy. And in the Navy, he actually was a boxing champion. So he's in his 30s in 1967. Right. I mean, he's a young guy. Right. But the other thing that he did get himself involved with was rodeo. He was a rodeo contender. And... From there, he basically learns to train horses. He becomes what essentially is a horse whisperer. And and he's an extremely well-liked guy. In fact, a lot of support, friendly, all-around good guy. And a, a well-established kind of a reputation of, of being a good guy. Now, in the beginning, Patterson sought... Gimlin out because of the fact that he can work with the horses 
and kind of be a, a horse guide and help Roger get deep into this particular part of the forest that he was interested in looking for Bigfoot. Now, as for Roger himself, whereas Gimlin was a non-believer, Patterson became interested in Bigfoot after coming across an article in True Magazine in December of 1959. The magazine featured an article by an Ivan T. Sanders, and it was regarding Bigfoot. And a couple of years down the road, Sanderson would publish an encyclopedia called The Abominable Snowman, Legend Come to Life. And this is, this is it. This is what Patterson gets hooked. He's hooked. He starts going out. He starts doing his own mini expeditions. Looking for Bigfoot? Correct. Or The Abominable Snowman? Or are those the same? Uh, no, they're different. Abominable Snowman is like a Yeti. Like a Yeti. Yeah. So, in his going out into, you know, the wilderness, he's like, I need a guy who knows horses, who's a guide with horses, and is going to help me get around. Because, obviously, staying near the main cities or the main roads, even in the mountains, is not going to get him the probability of coming across Bigfoot. Not going to put him where he needs to be. Correct. So, he... He reaches out to to Gimlin, and initially Gimlin's like, I don't really have time for this because it's more of a hobby, whereas for Gimlin, who, A, again, was not a believer, you know, he had to work. He had a wife. His wife worked at a bank. You know, honest, honest, good people. And at one point in time, Gimlin was, like, even working two jobs because that's that's how how good of a character he was, you know, to make sure there was enough of him and his family. Now, of course, Patterson starts doing all this research. He starts going out to the woods, and he even decides to create and f- and found a foundation called the Northwest Research Foundation. And he actually begins soliciting funds, and he also begins to lead several expeditions as well. So it's like, hey, if you're a believer, you know, pay me. I'll take you out where where he could be found the most. Now, he did not have a whole lot of luck, Patterson. And in fact, he was even kind of doing this thing where he was thinking about kind of doing like this documentary series on Bigfoot to kind of promote the Bigfoot idea. And all of this, of course, includes, like I said earlier, his visit. So, like, in 1962, he goes to Bluff Creek, and, you know, he meets up with a bunch of other Bigfoot believers. In 1964, he goes back and meets a timber cruiser named Pat Graves, who takes him to, to Layered Meadows. And whilst there, he sees what he believes to be fresh track. So, it's, it's calling him. It's teasing him. The universe is giving him the sign. So, he... Just is so enthralled with all of this, he actually writes and self-publishes a book in 1962 called Do Abominable Snowmen of America Really Exist? And I can't imagine how expensive that is because publishing a book now, when you have readily available publishers, you know, 40, 50 years later, when self-publishing was almost unheard of in the 1960s, but he funded it all. And 
finally, he convinces Gimlin to accompany him to the Six Rivers National Forest in Northern California in October of 1967. So they go out, and of course, Gimlin provides the horses, and he actually chooses this particular area because of the reported sightings and because of this situation where in 1958 they actually found enormous footprints and since then they've been finding footprints so to him it's like it's evidence correct that it's the it's prolific something there right so they camp out and on friday october 20th again 1967 it's patterson and gimlin who are riding they're actually riding upstream on horseback along the east bank of the Bluff Creek. And, you know, they're just, they're riding horses. Yeah. And the goal is to try and capture a Bigfoot. So he's got a camera on the saddlebag, Patterson does. And sometime between 115 and 140, as they're coming around what they called it, overturned tree with a large root system. So it's kind of like a knock tree with its um, roots exposed upward. Like a wind-blown tree, right. Like a tree blown over in the wind or something. Correct. As they're coming around, they see this figure, and they see it, like, almost at the exact same time. And they describe it as either crouching besides the creek to their left or like standing, but it's on the other side of the bank. And later on, because Gimlin actually has problems with this the situation later, but later on Gimlin will say that he was in absolute shock when he saw Bigfoot. But at this point in time, what happens is Patterson's horse gets excited and rears up. So Patterson's trying to calm the horse, get off the horse, and reach for the camera. And as he's doing all this, he grabs the camera from, he gets off the horse, he grabs the camera, and he's tr- you know trying to follow Bigfoot. And that's how come if you watch the video, it's all sc- like he's running for, he, he, well, because he is. Right, he's chasing. Correct. And... At that point in time, I mean, he finally gets it kind of steady enough for you to see this creature make his first video appearance. No music, no dance, no mob, flash mob. And it's this creature. It's it's what they say is Bigfoot. Now, Gimlin. Big, hairy, big, hairy, big beast, man-looking kind of thing. Correct. Like Chewbacca. A, uh, a bipedal, ape-like figure with a short, silvery brown, maybe dark, reddish-brown, black, hair covering completely. and Sounds exactly like Chewbacca on Star Wars. No, no, no. This one's more ape-like. Okay, more ape. Okay. And the other thing, too, that I forgot to mention is prior to all this, they both kind of agreed that they wouldn't shoot the creature. Because that's one of the things that in his 
in his haste to get off the horse and grab the camera, you know, Patterson yells to him, like, cover me, as he's, like, trying to. Get, get. So he wanted a dude to shoot him. No, he just wanted to make sure that nothing, the guy didn't. To him. The creature didn't turn on him. So after all this happens and the, the shock wears off, Gillen actually chases with his horse following the footprints that this Bigfoot makes. And he's looking for him, he's looking for him. But Patterson, who still doesn't have his horse, and Gimlin has the only gun that they brought, calls Gimlin back because he's horseless and he's got no weapons, calls him back, and what they do is they head back to camp to grab the plaster uh, material or necessities. Like they're going to make a mold or Correct. something? Correct. And then they go back and they make molds of the footprints that they followed. So are these molds that they've made, are they still yes. in existence? I don't know if they're still in existence, but I do know that there are pictures of them with the casts. They head to town because they want to get the film developed. They know what they've caught. They know what's on the film. And he mails it to his brother-in-law. And at that point in time, the three of them agree that whatever happens from here, they're going to split the proceeds or whatever they make. So they think they're going to get rich from this. Well, I don't know if Gimlin thought so, but I think Patterson did. Because remember, he's the obsessed one. Gimlin wasn't even... He's like, he, he didn't even believe, right? No. Yeah, he was just helping the dude out. Right, well, I'm sure Patterson probably offered him some monies for his services. Yeah. So they mail it out to the brother-in-law. Brother-in-law gets the film processed. And just as, you know, they're kind of gearing up and trying to show the world this film, Gimlin basically sells his share to another Bigfoot believer for like $10. Which that must have been a lot of money back then. I don't know. Ten dollars, really? I mean, I read that and I was like, eh, I don't know. Either he really didn't believe, or this is not accurate information. Yeah. Now, interestingly enough, I'll, Patterson starts promoting this film, and a lot of scientists are actually very hesitant to even look at it. American scientists are hesitant to even look at it. In fact, it isn't until Sanders gets involved, Ivan Sanders, and makes formal requests for some of the scientists, for some of the American scientists to get involved. Ivan Sanders, is this who he sold to the other guy? No, 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 no. Remember, he was the guy that wrote the book. Oh, he's he wrote the book. Right. right. Okay. And in addition to that, they actually do like seven viewings. They go out on the road and they... They show the film in Vancouver, Manhattan, the Bronx, Washington, D.C., Atlanta, and and, and so they're actually, showing it like a movie, like kind a, of like, like proof, a like a screening, right? Yeah, in Beaverton, Oregon. So yeah, now Patterson does have his supporters, and one of them was a gentleman by the name of Renee Dahl Hidden, and Renee takes the film. In 1971, he goes to Europe, and there he shows the film in England, Finland, Sweden, Switzerland, and Russia. And believe it or not, the scientists there are actually a lot more receptive to this potential evidence 
in particular, the Russian scientists. And that kind of doesn't surprise me because I have no doubt Russia's covered, especially in the 1960s and 70s, with forest. So I have no, they, I, I don't know if they have a Bigfoot or Yeti over there, but I have no doubt they have their own version. Wait, wait, wait. You said Yeti. So do you think Bigfoot and Yeti are like... They're cousins, I kissing, think. Like, like related, like cousins? I think they're cousins. One is just more Arctic and one is more... Not Arctic. No, I think Yeti lives like in the Himalayas. So, but more, but more of like a, a cold weather kind of a right cold weather cousin. Yeah. 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 Now, of course, when you have something to show the world, saying we've got Bigfoot, we got Bigfoot, you're going to have people who are going to try and take advantage of the situation. There are people who are going to try and debunk it, even to the point where they self-promote themselves as part of the hoax. So enter Bob Hieronymus. I'm just going to call him Bob H. That's much easier to say. Well, he comes out and he starts saying that he's the guy in the ape In the suit. Yes. Okay. He He claims that he's friends with Roger Patterson. He claims to have accompanied Patterson and Gimlin to this part of Northern California in his, with this costume. To make a fake movie. No. To, to not a movie, but a fake d- d- hoax. Right. To create this okay. hoax. Okay, so we'll just call him Bob Hoax. Exactly. <laughs> Bob Hoax. <laughs> but the second Bob says, hey... I was there. Everybody's like, no, he's a liar. Patterson's wife will say he's lying. Gimlin himself will eventually say he's lying because Gimlin, and not necessarily to his initial benefit, Gimlin, as I mentioned earlier, becomes an introvert about the situation because it brings a a terrible infamy to him and his family. And so he shuts down and doesn't say anything for years. He will not speak about it. He does not give interviews for years. So Bob's running around saying whatever the hell he wants. Well, is there any evidence that that this Bob hoax was actually friends with these two guys? or The Bobs worked together in the same, I, I think it was a factory of some sort. And whereas Gimlin was well re- revered as a hardworking, good work ethic kind of a man, the other Bob, in fact, he was actually transferred to another factory. So, you know, here again, again, Gimlin is, uh, he's got an impeccable record. His integrity is intact. Now, Patterson actually did know Bob because, again, remember how I told you that Patterson was looking to even do a documentary prior to Bigfoot being actually caught on film? Right. He had spoken to Bob H., about being part of the documentary. But that was pretty much it. So, that, so they weren't like actually friends. like Correct. Like the hoax guy. Right. They were, I mean, they had maybe some conversations. Right. Okay. But nothing to even say, hey, uh, he paid me money. Here's our letters. Here's our emails. So they weren't the like text messages. the text messages and the emails. and Right. They weren't like besties. Right. And, okay. I mean, even at some point in time, Gimlin and Bob H. are neighbors. Okay. Now, but again, Gimlin had nothing really to do with Bob H. 
in one of the one of the things I found that was kind of interesting was in one of the interviews that Bob H provided, he said that he remembers this day very clearly because it was very hot. It was especially hot in the monkey ape suit. And somebody had done some research on this statement. And it turns out that this reportedly hot date, hot day. Hot date. <laughs> in, in the local town of Arcata, which was very close to this area, the weather reportedly was only 55 degrees. So it wasn't hot. Correct. So, obviously, and, you know, it's always little minor details, but the other thing, but the other thing that I did find to be interesting is that a gentleman by the name of Philip Morris of Charlotte, North Carolina, who was a magician and who had a costume shop, claims that the costume shop was called Morse Costumes in the early 60s. Claims to have received a phone call from a gentleman by the name of Robert Patterson. And he claims that his shop was one of the few that were making gorilla suits for magicians and carnivals. And he further claims that when he received the phone call from Roger Patterson, he explained that he was a rodeo cowboy wanting to buy a gorilla suit for a gag. And to some extent, that's kind of interesting because one of the things I did fail to mention prior was Roger Patterson was part of the rodeo. That was kind of one of the things that he and Gimlin had in common. He even goes so far as to say is that Patterson even swindled money out of investors to raise the money for what he charged was a $435 suit. That seems like a lot of money. I, exactly. So Patterson raises the money through the investors he gets the suit, and Morris claims, you know, I didn't really, you know, noted anything. It was just a sell to me. And he says that he sef- he ships the, the suit to Patterson. And he also says that once Patterson got the suit, Patterson reached out to him again via telephone, asking how to make the suit look more, quote-unquote, realistic. And he asked him to send some more or extra fur and how to hide the zipper in the back and how to make the person in the costume look larger. So Morrison said, I told him, you take a brush to the fur, you brush the fur over the zipper, you use hairspray to hold it, you get some you know, football shoulder pads, some sticks for the arm to give the illusion of being taller and getting stuffing to make you look more bulky. And Moore says that was pretty much the last time he heard from Patterson and didn't think about it again until he saw the footage. In fact, he even recalls I was watching TV when I saw the Patterson and his film on the news. And I was like, I called my wife to the other room and I was like, that's our gorilla suit. So when pressed as to why didn't you say something sooner, why don't you call him out on this? He was basically like, in my mind, it was a magic trick. And he didn't want to break the magician code. Mm-hmm. So he waits until after Patterson dies in 1972. And he only tells the story when he goes to other magician conventions and stuff. Trade shows, trade, 
Triggs mentions. And, of course, his version of things makes their way to a Bigfoot researcher by the name of Greg Long, who writes this book called The Making of Bigfoot, The Inside Story, in which he basically says, you know, this film, this footage, is a hoax. Now, life goes on. Before Patterson dies, he literally starts selling tickets to talk about it. He basically promotes it. And Pattern does something here that I just... just am sad and shocked to hear about. But what he does is he goes around the country touring with this footage. Like I said, sells tickets. But he has this actor come on stage claiming to be the guy that was with him, Bob Giblin, as well. So Pattern himself starts kind of doing something kind of unethical here. And Gimlin learns from a friend, a mutual friend, that went to go see this Patterson talk, Patterson TED talk. And that's when Gimlin learns of this deception. Now, as Patterson knows that he's going to die, Patterson calls Gimlin to his deathbed. And Patterson says, I did this, and I'm sorry. I was wrong. And Giblin accepts the apology, and he lives on until 2015. He dies in 2015. In the meantime, though, in January 2010, a series of different documentaries come out. We're talking the National Geographic has the American Paranormal Bigfoot. We're talking one episode on Monster Quest of the History Channel and another documentary called Sasquatch. Legend meets science. And all three of these come out in favor that this footage is authentic. Now, I've watched the video a couple of times myself. And I kind of go back and forth. Because when you see Bigfoot's feet, I think I was kind of more expecting like a padded foot, like a bear. But it kind of, and again, the video is almost 60 years old. It's like 55. And we're technology back then. Right. I, it almost looks like shoes, but I will say Maybe. the soles of a shoe, but I will say if it is a costume, that's a pretty motherfucking impressive costume. Well, it was $435 apparently. So yeah, but how good then, of a quality a of, of costume do you think that they're making in the 1960s? See, I, I just kind of go, eh, but for that. $435 back then, that's a lot of money. So it better be good. I don't know. And the only thing that is holding me together that the film is authentic is Gimlin. Like I said, in everything I've read about him, because eventually he starts going to conventions. Eventually he starts sharing his story. He has a clean background. And, I mean, the fact that he he even says at, prior to coming out, he says, I regret being there. I regret any part of it. Because of the harassment his family had to deal with. Yeah. That's what holds me on. So whether or not Patterson set Gimlin up, I don't know. But I believe Gimlin believes what he saw. Yeah. And he did track Bigfoot. So, I mean, maybe my vision or what I'm seeing is, 
I'm just being too skeptical, always having that sliver of doubt. But I will say that's a pretty nice suit. Yeah. If it's fake, yeah, it if would it's have fake. to be. But Gimlin, like I said, followed the tracks. So, I don't know. Maybe I'm just being... <laughs> I know sometimes for Vina, she has to see it to believe it. I, think, I don't think she's the only one. I think there's a lot of people that are like it. But again, I, I believe Giblet saw what he saw. Yeah. He knows what he saw. Yeah. Now, all this happened in Northern California. And one of the interesting things that I came across that I wanted to kind of share because I thought this was kind of interesting. As you know, in our own backyard, for the most part, there was some horrific fires in the Paradise area in, the, in 2018. I mean, that was a scary-ass firestorm that just blew through Paradise. Believe it or not, the sightings of Bigfoot jumped and with good reason, because that fire was out of control for a lengthy period of time. To the point where, I mean, they, there were sightings in uh, Lassen National Forest in the area of Shasta County, which is Bigfoot territory as far as I'm concerned. But even in broad daylight, like, people were like, oh my God, that's Bigfoot. Well, of course, because he's fleeing. Now, I did want to take the opportunity now to kind of discuss, because I thought this was very interesting. And this is according to a website called Med Med Viking. The top 10 states sightings. Top 10 states. In America. Okay. Number 10 being Georgia, which I thought was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Number 9 is Missouri. Number 8 is Michigan. Number 7 is Texas. Number 6 is Oregon. 5 is Illinois. 4 is Ohio. 3, oddly enough, is Florida. Hmm. Strange. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think a big old hairy creature would live. I know in they that do believe there is an ape man of some sort there. Yeah. Number two is California, and I guess is what the number one state is. We already did. You already say Oregon, Washington. Yes, I said Oregon. You say Washington. Nope. Number one is uh, Washington. Okay. Now, what surprises me? Anything? Anything jumps out at you about this list? No. I, I'm surprised that Alaska is not on this list. Why? Not only Alaska is huge, mm-hmm. it's predominantly covered in forest. That doesn't mean that's where they live. I mean, no, I understand that. I'm just saying, I'm surprised for as a how big it is and how much forest is there. But okay. again, there's not a lot of humans there either. Well, if you kind of think about it, though, like if you lived in the woods, would you want to live where it's cold all of the time or most of the time, or would you want to live where it's Warm sometimes and cold sometimes. So you're saying Bigfoot is more Mediterranean? He likes his four seasons? I don't know if that's Mediterranean, but yeah, yeah. Okay. That's what I'm saying. He he, he doesn't want to be freezing cold. I mean, Alaska gets a lot of snow in the winter. So any, any guesses what the five lowest sightings are of state-wise? Probably desert states like Arizona, New Mexico, Utah. No. Not even close. No, Nebraska. Number five is Delaware. Number four is Connecticut. Number three is Massachusetts. Number two is Rhode Island. Any guesses what number one is? The least sightings. Nevada. Really? Yes. And do you know what shocks me about that? No. Hawaii is not on that list. 
Well, maybe they have Bigfoots in Hawaii. I don't know. That would be an awfully nice place to live. Well, it's probably no, I think it might be too humid for him. Yeah, he could cut his hair. I'm a little surprised that Hawaii he, is not on the, he, the top he five. Could, he could have some buzz cuts going on. So, what does Bigfoot generally look like? Let's talk about that real quick. Well, my vision is bipedal, right? So, he walks on two legs. Mm-hmm. Probably has big feet. We already talked about that. And that's why it's Hence called Bigfoot, right? Yeah. So, we talked about 14 inches long, eight, eight inches wide. That's huge. Huge feet, right? And probably other things. Well, you say that, but I don't know. Anyways. And... Probably very hairy. My, I, I envision, I envision Chewbacca. Yeah, you said this. I said that earlier, but that's what I envision, minus you know the blasters and stuff. Okay, that's fair. So normally the sightings put him somewhere between six to fifteen feet tall. Fifteen feet. Yes, but of course, that's huge. You got to remember, if people just go into this shock seeing him, they might. Yeah, exaggerate. exaggerate. I, they've got to be exaggerated because that's, that's gigantic. Right. And going back to their feet measurements, which is the predominant form of evidence, uh, anywhere up to 24 inches wow, length. big ass foot. And 8 inches wide. They estimate anywhere from 150 pounds to 700 pounds. There's a horrible smell. People have reported to being similar to rotting eggs. He does have a human-like face, but like a dark, flat nose with large lips. Obviously, he's a big guy. Could have been a quarterback or halfback or fullback or some type of football player (laughs) (laughs) with the big shoulders. A lineman. Lineman, there you go. Hairy, long, hairy arms. Can be dark brown, black, sometimes a dark red. And, and this was the odd part. Most people claim it's five toes instead of the original four. Maybe that one lost the toe in the war or something. I don't know. Right. He was fighting for the Americans. And But to me, here's kind of the clincher. There are so many names, even in Native American cultures, which they've been around a lot longer than, you know, the British guy in 1811 that they have their own names for Bigfoot. So I'm just going to go through the Wendigo, Boggs, Yeho, Oma, Sasquatch, and locally here at Mount Shasta, the Modoc tribe calls him the Matakegmi. So even even the local tribes here, right. they got names for him. Right. They've been around a lot longer than the white people have. Correct. So... This is part of the reason why I'm a believer. Uh, if I didn't believe before, I might believe now. But I, I'm, I, I'm like you said, I can't be a hundred percent believer until I see it for myself. And that would be something I think would be fun to do is to find Bigfoot. Well, yeah. But I mean, that's for another. That's for another day. All right. So that's what we have for you tonight. On to business. Facebook. 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 We have a Facebook page, and if you are curious or interested and would like to join, send us a request. But in the meantime, if you have a topic that you would like for us to cover, another episode on Bigfoot perhaps, send me an email where the dark corners are at gmail.com. 
Final thoughts. Husband Jeff. Let's find Bigfoot. <laughs> and bring him home? Yeah. Yeah. We'll bring him home. <laughs> he can live with our dogs. Yeah. I don't know you if they'll call get, him Harry. I don't know if they'll get along. Harry too. Harry too. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Harry too. All right. So until next time, please remember, only the few can find the beauty in the darkness, which is why we hope to meet you where the dark corners are.